Hey everyone, just wanted to record a quick preface to this episode. This episode is actually a serious discussion of topics the hosts wanted to sit down and chat about, and we don't really make a whole lot of jokes. It's about an hour and a half of us actually being serious about monkey cognition in an unedited, raw discussion format. If that's not really your thing, you can skip this episode, but I think you should give it a listen anyways, because we all value your feedback and we want to create content that you actually want to listen to. And, you know, you might end up enjoying it. With that being said, though, we sent this episode out to patrons early, as we always do, and I wanted to include some of their feedback in the beginning. The indigenous hunter-gatherer tribe in the Amazon rainforest we mentioned in this episode are the Piraha people, and we are by no means a resource on them. If you would like more in-depth and nuanced analyses of their lives and language, there are many good resources online that are not us, such as Simon Roper's video on Piraha phonology. There's also at least one occasion where the technology employed by the Piraha people is referred to as primitive, which has a heavy colonial connotation. I hope the context conveys that that was clearly not our intention, but as the host most adjacent to anthropology, I probably should have caught that during the discussion itself. A more accurate term with less baggage would probably be pre-pastoral, as that is their mode of living. With that being said, please continue to provide us with feedback on this episode. If you loved it and want us to be serious more often, or if you found it trite and boring, either way, just let us know. But thanks for listening, and enjoy. Why did you start it off by making a stupid noise? I, what else I does know. Austin do on this podcast but make stupid noise? <gasps> I was, it's just, whenever we want to come up with a good starting point, we just cut to Folks, it. welcome to episode 27. It's monkey morality, baby. You've been waiting for it. We're here to deliver it. We're going to answer the deep-seated philosophical questions that none of you asked and none of you care to know the answers to about monkey morality, spirituality, and the concept of consciousness. I hope you're ready to buckle the fuck in, because we don't do a serious episode, like, ever. So, this is going to be real. We're going to do philosophy. I'm going to read This is you a Greg shit. episode. I, th- I think somebody, I think somebody, I, was Jayden it Bird? Asked for this. Jayden, Bird <laughs> asked for us to do a serious episode, like, six months ago. And uh, we were like, we yeah, it's it. coming in the pipeline. Yeah. We'll never, we, we never did it. it. Jaden <laughs> specifically asked for this, and uh-huh. then... They will not listen. They don't listen to the podcast. So we're just <laughs> doing right. this. Yeah, we're just doing this. So, um, okay. Um, yeah, do you want me to start out? I don't know. I would like to, I'm going to, I'm going to steal from Big Soy Naturals here and I'm going to like Ooh. give everybody an overview of what exactly we're going to talk about before we do it. Okay. All right. Um, yeah, sounds good. Lovely so, to steal. There are, <laughs> we love thievery. Um, there are uh, a couple main points I would like to touch upon in this episode, everyone. So I think the biggest one is obviously is do primates um, of any type, we're going to specifically try and focus on great apes, um, have a concept of morality and do they execute on that? 
Um, I would like to talk about the, the connection between morality, consciousness, and spirituality. Um, it's been touched mm -hmm. upon a couple times. Is like, could a, could a primate have a sense of spirituality? Um, and then, I guess, really just intelligence and linguistics, linguistics and how much language you need to actually have a functioning set of morals. Um, or a functioning set, really, I guess, of spiritual beliefs. Um, so those are the big, the big ones. And then I guess, um, yeah, Austin, why don't you lead off with the, with the Kanzi thing? Yeah, for sure. Um, so yeah, here's where my sort of area of expertise comes in. Kanzi the Bonobo, great guy, right? We all know him. The funny little guy. He talks with his computer to his caretakers. Yeah, he's like the Stephen Hawking of the Great Apes. <laughs> Sure, you could say that, I guess, maybe. Redacted. <laughs> um, Take it out. Two minutes no, and 40 seconds. <laughs> remove it. No, I don't know. It's, it's probably fine. Anyways. Um, uh, so, yes, Kanzi the Bonobo was originally one of those, a part of one of those monkey language experiments, right? Like Nim Shimsky. But they were like, hey, maybe these great apes don't have the capacity for you know, vocal communication. Like, they just don't have the the throat for it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and which is, like, one of the, like, highlights of human evolution is that our larynx is broken into two separate chambers, which allows us to make the complicated noises we do. Yeah. And it's also higher, right? Ours are higher than most other apes or lower? Like, our voice box is in a different spot. Our larynx is in a different spot. I think, I want to say it's higher. It's low. Uh, it's, I think it's, or it's lower? I think it's lower. I think it's lower, It's yeah. lower. Huh. But yeah, um, you know, Neanderthals had similar thing going on, but I don't know if you've ever seen that video of yeah. uh, reconstructed Neanderthal voice. It just sounded like the worst British woman you've ever heard. Um, uh, they were very <laughs> shrill. Top of her lungs, yeah. Very shrill. Yeah, they were very, very shrill. They were in a different... Different. They were going a different way with it, but they were able to as talk. As soon as I saw that like video, I like it proved the theory that I always knew, like in my heart, that British people are Neanderthals. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I mean it is true, but so essentially, this is their theory. They're like, all right, well, if he can't speak like the way humans speak, maybe if we gave him like a sort of device <clears throat> to physically interact with, he could speak with us that way, and so. The Great Ape Trust, uh, the two main players here are, I think, Sue Savage Rumbaugh and William L. Fields, also known as Bill Fields, which will be, he'll be refer referred to as from here on out. But, um, and they got a little freaky with Kanzi. Not, not in that way, but um, essentially <laughs> they had him. Me and Greg immediately made the worst faces at Austin. <laughs> They got a little, like, weird, like, almost an unhealthy attachment. I wanted to say parasocial, but that doesn't really make sense in that scenario. Um, they just got really, like, invested in Kanzi as an individual ape rather than as a, like, scientific experiment, you know? And so there, there was many crazy things he could do, you know, just like uh, Coco the gorilla, you know, he could combine unique things to get, you know kind of food that he wanted um he could see a concept and pick the closest symbol on his board and it would make a word um but you know as we've spoken about before 
really all of these language experiments went down the shitter and got disproved one way or another. Uh, Savage, uh, I guess, Savage Rumbaugh, I don't, if, it's hyphenated, so I guess I could say either, but I'll just call her Savage Rumbaugh. Um, there was a lot of complications where they were basically overfeeding Kanzi because he would just keep pressing like the buttons for this kind of food, and they'd be like, oh, you're so smart, give him a, you know, whatever food he wanted. Um, and he sort of, uh, he, he definitely abused that, and you know, got into this concept of, like, who's training who, so to speak, where basically a lot of uh, dissenters or detractors from this research said, he's basically just playing you guys. Like, he's giving you what you want to hear, and you're rewarding him with treats, right? But regardless of that, over time, uh, Bill Fields and Sue became super convinced that not only could Kanzi you know, communicate perfectly with this little lexicon board, uh, or lexagram, sorry, that they also became convinced that he could utter simple phrases in English. Like, he would, like, point at something and go, like, oh, and they'd be like, oh, he just said over there. Um, huh. So I'm, I'm starting to think they were going a little bit insane. They have a bit um, of a confirmation bias on their hands. Yeah, absolutely mm-hmm. confirmation bias, but... Um, the craziest thing came through, and this actually sparked a debate on like ape morality, right, is a principal investigator that was basically in charge of giving funding to the lab, right, came in and was discussing with Sue something about funding. I don't remember the specifics, and I don't know if the story that's been retold has ever gone into that. I don't think it matters. Basically, what happened is the argument started getting heated and the PI started yelling at Sue, who Kanzi sees as, you know, like a mother, because they were really, like, unhealthily close. Like, the kind of close that maybe a, uh, a mother and a child would have, or a pet and its owner would have. Really not... A Travis you know, connection. A tra- the Travis connection, right. And Kanzi started freaking out because he saw this like random person just yelling at, you know, his mom. And so he allegedly, this is where it gets really heavily into the allegedly part. Mm -hmm. Um, Allegedly, he calls Bill over and tells him on the lexagram, you need to bite that woman or I am going to bite you. And so he says to Kanzi, this is, you know, we're humans we have cultural standards, you know, we, we have laws. I cannot bite this woman because of a disagreement. And so Kanzi gets mad at him. And apparently the next time they're walking Kanzi back to his little enclosure, he's in the hallway, which insane building design. I don't know why you let the ape just walk through the hallway and like just trust him through that. Yeah, what? Apparently, according to Bill, he... Stopped right before his enclosure, turned around, bolted down the hallway, kicked down his door, and bit off his thumb. And then bit he just went back. Thumb? No, bit off Bill's thumb, as How he promised to do. Yeah. Oh. As he promised to do earlier. And so, uh, essentially, Bill said he was very upset with Kanzi and wouldn't go to see him or talk to him for eight months until he apologized, which is just so fucking petty and hilarious. Like (laughs) I'm not talking to the monkey until he says, sorry, (laughs) you you teach him language 
and then you expect him to apologize. But you know. Okay. Um, eventually, at you know, at the end of the story, apparently Kanzi goes up to him and apologizes. At some point, they cry, hug, make up, whatever. Basically, the debate here is Kanzi had a you know moral rule set here. This woman is yelling at my mom. You need to punish her. And if you don't punish her, I'm going to punish you. What does that mean? Personally, I think he's bullshitting and insane. They all are kind of went insane. They lost funding. He went to like an actual sanctuary and place that takes care of him now. Kanzi, that is. Um, Not Bell. much yeah. better now. Bell's Bell's out the fucking street. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, okay. So yeah, what do you think? Assuming this is true, what do you think? Well, I think it's a really good place to start because we're kind of debunking something that's clear. This sounds like it's clearly bullshit. Yeah, like, it does sound like bullshit. This doesn't sound like that. If if it, if it's true, it is the most astoundingly intelligent act that an ape has ever done in captivity. Yeah, yeah. and I think like fundamentally, when something like this happens in science and is corroborated, and is it like science? Like I'm not gonna. I don't believe in like the myth that scientists are morally and ethically pure and that science as itself is an ethically pure thing that will always mm-hmm. function correctly. But I, I, I do believe that some of the institutions in our scientific community have the capability of find like a discovery is presented to the community and then the community debates it, the community experiments on it and they move it for- forwards or they debunk it. The fact that how long ago has this happened, Austin? When did Kanzi's experiment happen? This was. It had to be in uh, 2000 to 2010. It was somewhere in that decade. Yeah. So, so in the past, ago. like. Yeah. So in the past decade or two. Well, tec- no, it was two decades ago, technically. But yeah. Well, eh, give or take. But yeah. yeah. Past decade or two. No experiment, no scientific inquiry has been able to A replicate this behavior replicate this experiment which is so important by the way y'all when y'all look at scientific like thing like scientific results replication is key because if you can't replicate it then it's just a fluke and whether or not it happened or not it doesn't matter anymore because a fluke is a fluke um it has to be replicated and what 10 like a decade or two of just consistent research Further and further proof that great apes do not have the capacity for language. Be it through like these like experiments where it is just like we t- try to teach an ape how to use a, a, a board or we like literally look in their brains and recognize they lack the components that we have that make it capable capable of, for, for us to use oh, yeah. language. Because is, is Kanzi the only, the only major study... With using like a lexagraph board, a lexagram. Uh, I believe the same great ape trust tried it with a couple other bonobos. I can't remember the same type of effect where they figured out the food button because uh, that's like I wouldn't call. I believe Kanzi was the smartest ape that they had. Smartest. Yeah. The others were bonobos. Like, this doesn't seem like a well-designed experiment. If you're going to do it, it needs to all be chimps. Or all be bonobos. Uh, I think I think they only used bonobos, but I'm not sure on that. Um, let me see. Uh, there, was, there was a big falling out where... Uh, 
basically the the research seemed so like interesting and novel when it first came out that Franz de Waals, we've talked about him a couple of times, was actually a big supporter and was like, this is huge, this is great. But as it became more and more obvious that they weren't replicating this with other, you know, bonobos and that it was like either through trickery of this particular bonobo or just like preference or playing favorites, essentially, um, you know, the human caretakers having way too much of a confirmation bias with this one specific uh, bonobo. Basically, over time, uh, the Sioux, the Savage Limbaugh, became less and less interested in sort of proving herself scientifically and more just like arguing that like, you know, the co- you wouldn't understand the connection me and Kanzi have, basically. Mm-hmm. And basically, Friends de Walls was, was like, hey, you need to... Uh, distance yourself from Kanzi and like think of this scientifically take a more scientific approach and she blew that off which is why basically her findings were more or less discredited and they moved on from this experiment and honestly I don't think they've ever tried it again just because you know they might try it again in the future but I don't think anyone's going to try it again just because I don't think anyone's willing to put themselves out there and fund something like this again given that they've all been failures more or less Okay. Well, okay. So, I guess from here, with that wonderful anecdote about Kanzi being a fucking freak. Um, <laughs> it's, <clears throat> it's hard to find well, out if he actually bit his thumb off, because I can't find pictures of him missing any thumbs. But anyways, continue. <laughs> oh, do we not even have the, Yo, like, what the, the fuck? basic material evidence? What do you mean? He we doesn't know? There's, there's barely any pictures of him online, and the few that he has you can't really see his hands so i don't know this might this is like so anecdotal yeah all right very anecdotal so i think a good place to start now is talking about the building blocks or whatever the fuck you want to call it the the creation of a morality system so i've been doing a lot of research everyone um and the main thing that i came across to not make this take four hours to explain (laughs) <laughs> is humans are social social creatures. Um, we, especially in our earliest stages of existence, relied on, an, on a community to survive, to raise young, to find food, to hunt when we reach that level of development. All of these things are communal activities. And the research kind of points to the remaining the remaining groups of people around the world who still exist in this hunter-gatherer lifestyle, um, the main one being the San people of, like, Southwest Africa, they still exist in this very, very, very primitive, like, compared to us, way of living. They hunt, they gather, they live communally, they raise children community communally, and they essentially share the majority of their resources. Um, the morality system that exists there... Um, is much more based on survival than, say, the way we live, where there's a lot of luxury involved in our lives. So the the morals we have reflect that. So at a very, very base level, most morals are, like, I'm going to help this person when they don't have enough food because they'll help me when that is me, because that will be me. 
Like that is the understanding that they have. It's like I, that person's struggling right now. If I don't help them when I'm struggling, they're not going to be inclined to help me. Or keep um, helping me because they're yeah, not be, alive yeah, anymore. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so it is a very self-serving thing, but it does benefit the community. It's the same, that same set of moral rules kind of governs the reason why those, those groups of people, they raise children communally because a mother cannot do everything to raise an infant and still be out gathering or be out like hunting. Hey, uh, Greg, I don't want to cut you off. You might talk about this later, but does this at all tie into why early humans were observed taking care of their elderly? Like, is this more of an empathy thing? Yeah. Okay. Do you have something flipped? Okay. Yeah. So, well, I I mean, just to kind of touch on that is so that those same communities, they do have like, the myth of like you before medicine, people died at like 40 is not true. Like that's, that is very much a myth. It might not, might, it's not, a, it wouldn't have been as prevalent, but it happens pretty regularly. People live into their seventies or eighties. Um, so in these communities, they do have elderly people who can no longer perform the tasks they performed as young people. They can't hunt. They can't really gather, but they don't get abandoned. They aren't killed. They aren't like, you know, just left to die. They are taken care of by the community. Um, and the best that can be pieced together by sociologists is it is a form of thanks. Um, it is a form of thanks and a sense of moral duty, but not one that we can, not one that's comprehensible. It does, it seems very unique to primates, to, to apes. Um, it's not something that's observed outside of apes and I can't remember what family elephants are in. Elephants do um, it. Yeah. Elephants do it, and elephant-related animals will do it. They're they're hmm. they're related to canines. I know that because it's also observed in wolves, but it's not observed in big cats. Oh. So, like hmm. wolves, canines will take care of the elderly ones in the pack. They're not to a point, not to the same point that we will, but they will take care of the elderly in the pack. They won't shun them. Big cats tend to do the opposite, where they are, they are left. Um, but yeah, primate, it's very interesting. And in, in the course of my research, I read, a, uh, I read most, of an, most of an article here from the Department of Anthropology in Zurich by a Ooh. Dr. Judith Burkhart, Rachel Brueger, and Carol Scheich. Very, my- very fucking kraut names. My um, favorite part of reading like academic journals <laughs> is just the names. It's, mm-hmm. it's so fun reading the names, just imagining yeah. how they could be pronounced. <laughs> and so there is an excerpt. The ex- the excerpt that's actually in the chat that you guys can see is actually from this article. Um, but main takeaway, because I want to talk about that specific excerpt, but the main takeaway is that this behavior, this like caretaking behavior, this like communal sense of morality is observed in monkeys. But it's most strongly observed in, in a, God, what the fuck is it called? Calatricidae? Is that right? New World Monkeys? It's New World Monkeys. Yeah. So this behavior is actually observed more often in New World Monkeys than it is in Great Apes um, and, and all Old World Monkeys. So these kind of moral constructs of taking, oh, of working uh, as a community... 
Yeah, correction. It's actually specifically marmosets, tamarins, lion tamarins. Like, it's a specific family of New World monkeys. Yeah. yeah. So interesting. Yeah. I didn't know that about So it's actually... Yeah. yeah, it's very, it's absorbed, it's observed in them very specifically. That is in a, in a, in the closest mirror image to how primitive people would have lived. Um, however, they did this study, which if I scroll up, I'll figure it out. Uh, can I have a, I'll have a bit Go of ahead. input on this really quick. So as a, as a primatologist, no, um, basically I know that from just speaking to other primatologists who are much more qualified than me, field work is very hard. Like, you can spend weeks just trying to find a fucking monkey in a jungle. So, when studies like this say, like, it's mostly observed in this family, it's it could either mean in captivity, or it could just mean this behavior could be common in a lot of other primates, but we just can't watch them long enough to see it. It -hmm. just so happens that, you know, maybe one person who was studying marmosets and stuff specifically um, happened to, you know, catch those behaviors and write about it. So it's, there's a lot of, there's a, there's a big gap of information for specific species, which is why it's sometimes good to specialize, you know? But yeah, anyways, continue. <laughs> so I actually I found the part that I was thinking about. So they did these tests, and they did them obviously on a person, um, on some of the members of that family that you're Calatricidae, what are the fuck they're called, um, <laughs> and chimps. Um, and the test was essentially like a, it was a, it's a morality test. Um, so for people, the test was, um, it's like literally a fill-out bubble test where they're talking about, would you give money in this situation? Um, and they perform the test twice. First test, there's not, it's just, that's it. It's the questions. Second one, there is like iconography on the page of watching eyes. Um, huh. It's a little scary, but yeah. Yeah. So in the human test, it, it increased the amount of money people would give in certain situations because you're being watched. That's the idea is you're being watched. So you're doing something for the good of the community because you know you'll get something in return. Now, humans have this ability innately without the watching eyes thing. So they're doing it out of their own sense of morality. Um, I don't know how the fuck they did this test. I'm not reading this whole fucking thing. So they did it in like, they did it with games for the monkeys. Um, So certain species of monkeys, specifically those like tamarins, those small monkeys, they also would perform those tasks without the watching eyes of of the community. Chimps, however, would not. So unless the chimp was being watched by other chimps, the chimp would not engage in moral behavior. Um, the idea behind this kind of is that humans in their primitive state, these marmosets, are cooperative breeders, uh, meaning that it's the mother doesn't do anything when they have an infant. They, they, they cannot work. They cannot perform the duties necessary for survival. Whereas a chimp, you know, they're putting the baby on their back pretty quick, and they're still picking shit up and eating it. Mm-hmm. Am I correct? Right, Austin? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, they... Yeah. So they're, they're not... Quick rebound. <laughs> yeah, so they're not cooperative breeders. Whereas humans, it takes time to raise that child. And in these smaller monkeys, it takes time to raise that child. So they think that that might be the, the spark for morality... 
so that in species where like cooperative breeding is important, which it's also important to note that the things I said before, elephants and wolves are also cooperative breeders. It takes it, the community raises the young. Um, so they think that that might be like the, the earliest spark for rea for a morality system. Um, however, there's also tests that show that chimps might. Um, so they did another study, which it's in here. I'm not fucking finding it. Where they <laughs> essentially would show videos to chimps of, of other chimps being killed whether it be by hunters or other chimps. And they got chimp live leak. That's funny. Yes. Up. And so this is important because it's taught, this is going to be specific to, to infants, to young. So when the chimps were shown videos of other adult chimps being killed, whether by humans, hunters, other chimps, they would show a reaction, a negative reaction to show disapproval. However, they didn't, they didn't get, they did not get excited. They, they wouldn't get excited so much as they would be disapproving of it. However, among the little monkeys and these, and these chimps, these great apes, when they were shown footage of an infant being killed, the, the reaction is very, very visceral. They apparently get very, very excited, very angry, like they're, they kind of freak out, um, which these researchers believe that, I mean, this is a moral. It's do not harm young, that like the infants are not to be touched. And that's about the only thing scientifically proven that we can show. Like a chimp has a moral on this. This is a moral of theirs, is you shouldn't be killing the babies. Mm -hmm. um, which obviously, like, humans would have the exact same thing. Yeah. I think we absolutely do observe this in humans. I'm almost certain we've done these exact same experiments. And we've seen yeah. that humans find baby murder, infanticide, to be much more viscerally disturbing than any other kind of murder. Also, really quick, am I super quiet? You seem okay to me. Okay, my way yeah, it's fine. We can fix it in post if it's okay. bad, but yeah. Um, I guess, I think something that's interesting here is how often senses of, you know, morals and altruism are tied into reproductive success. And there's this concept that altruism is born from an evolutionary instinct to persevere so like sometimes altruism is seen in animals that aren't typically known to be advanced or smart where it's basically hypothesized that by being like uh selfless you know sacrificing oneself to save another for example or a younger for example you are it is a evolutionary drive to do this because you are sacrificing yourself to ensure the survival of your species and it comes down to altruism being you know an instinct that is hardwired from evolution from survival on a grander scale than just an individual and so that's definitely something that plays into these discussions mm -hmm. where you know you know maybe do humans even have altruism is it just you know that evolutionary drive, um, evolutionary drive i wonder if but is that evolutionary drive does that count as altruism that's, though that's that exact question i'm about to ask you I'm like at what to, point like, can we draw the line here's the thing i want to challenge us really quickly to separate us as human beings and our specific wants and our specific morality from chimpanzees right mm -hmm. 
So this evolutionary instinct, can this be considered morality? Because if we, I would think what would be much more interesting to discover or to figure out about a chimp or a potential like moral chimp, if a chimp would hold a moral code, or rather, if this instinct was not something that related to us so deeply, would we have, would we ever consider it more morality, right? If, if, if chimps developed like moral codes that we fundamentally did not understand or agree with as moral, I think that we, I think it would be almost very, very hard for, it would be very, very hard for any of us to accept that this is a morality system, mm-hmm. right? And I think this is one of the really important things to always hold when you are studying the natural world, which is we cannot impose ourselves on it or because we will skew the results. Yeah, I think that's probably the most difficult thing to do in these situations because like, it is, it is hard to draw that line. Like you, you do hit a point, eventually, science is no longer applicable. You have to be philosophical and say, okay, well... Does a genetic drive to do a certain thing, how is that not morality? Or how is it? Mm -hmm. You know, like, don't murder. There's a reason societies of humans all around the world, at a very base level, have the same code of laws. Don't murder. Don't steal. Mostly those two things. Don't murder. Don't steal. Like, those are very, very important things to human psychology. They also seem relatively important to the important to the rest of the great apes and mm-hmm. monkeys in general. Mm-hmm. Um, like it, it, it's a very it's a, it's an impossible question I think to ask. Mm-hmm. I, I think and I think we're going to hit a lot of those in this episode where we can speak on a bunch of different things, but it's <laughs> at the end of it, it's not a question that can be could be answered. Unless I could get a monkey in front of me speaking English and telling yeah. me what it thinks. Which would be scary, so we're not going to do that. Be, yeah. <laughs> be so Caesar, scary. go home. <laughs> uh, of course, um, the flip side of, of like this little question I've just asked of us is are like what you were just pointing out, Greg. Is Are these evolutionary instincts that we kind of have as human beings that we observe in like every single culture don't murder. Is that even a moral, moral, like, is that a moral system alone? And I think when we look at it like that way, I don't think any of us would hear, would sit here and say the evolutionary instinct in a human being to not murder is not a system of morals. It is, uh, I mean, actually, I don't want to speak for you. Maybe you disagree with me. Maybe you think that is enough to become a system, but. What are morals? I guess. This, this is what it comes down to. This is, so, this is how yeah, it so I, I would, I personally, and I think this might just be my personal philosophy on this, oh, yeah. I would err on the side of saying, yes, that that is. Because yeah, I uh-huh. think, I think humans are, like, I don't want to be a, a, like a homo sapien exceptionalist, I guess, on that. Like, yeah. I don't think that, quite honestly, we are not that far removed from that, Mm-mm. from that that very very prehistoric primitive way of existence so i i wouldn't i wouldn't say that it's not i i would say that it is a system of morals in itself because there are 
it is not, it, it isn't so simple as don't murder. Like there are a lot of reasons you might, or you might want to, that you still would refrain from because it is not, it is not acceptable personally to you to do that. I have a question. So what does, let's assume that the Kanzi story was made up, which it probably is. Mm-hmm. So the, clearly yeah, this guy, Bill absolutely. Fields, is is projecting a human morality onto this bonobo, Kanzi. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I guess, what does that reveal about us that a system of, you know, like retaliation and like punishment is what he would consider to be like an emergence oh. of morality in an ape? Oh, that's a very interesting question. Well, I think we're an incredibly violent species, period. Much yeah. like, like, I think chimps are probably the closest thing to as violent as we are on a species level. But I really like for all of the horrific physical violence a chimp can produce, they are nowhere near as violent as us. Like there is yeah. a reason that that Homo sapiens have expanded across the globe and chimps have not. Yeah. And in at at the base level when pre-human, pre-Homo sapien, like there the competition there is both yeah, of us were it. is were efficient in mm-hmm. what we did, but we were efficient in a different way. Yeah. We're it's much I think the human bar of morality might honestly be lower. If morality does exist among apes or among primates in general, I think the human bar might be lower and that might be part of why we are so successful. Like we are much more driven to kill for what we want. Even with the embedded like code of we shouldn't. And what other what other thing that I think is always super important to mention when it comes to human violence is our institution institutionalization of violence mm-hmm. yeah is the we build up systems which are mm-hmm. designed to be violent in order to uphold codes which we ascribe moral value to you know yeah. when we talk about the monop like the state's monopoly of violence these are the questions we are grappling with fundamentally we've invented forms of violence chimps can't even comprehend that's truly, so far truly. Mm-hmm. like there has been know what gaslighting is. That's crazy. <laughs> there has been no more successful form of violence than the human form on this planet. Period. For for yeah. all of the physical violence, nature has evolved um, in all in all species across all families of the tree. Like human violence is quite notable and might be a case where I could go okay. Human exceptionalism is is on par here. Is is cue here because there's something what, exceptional about us. There, there is something, something. Yeah, yeah. There is uh, something we are different. Insanely, <laughs> yeah, insanely different about the way we conduct violence and the way we rationalize it in ourselves. And you have to ask that, like, the follow up to that is, okay, are we so violent because of our intelligence or in spite of it? Because a chimp's capacity for violence physically outstrips us by a fucking mile yeah <laughs> but they lack the the intelligence factor i guess yeah. to kind of i think i think you're answering your question to here utilize it already, right yeah. like to I do to utilize I, it for more than just personal gain on a very small scale yeah i i, yeah. I do think humans are violent because they're like more capably violent because of their intelligence I think I think it is the reason that I think the same way I think the same way that we observe humans have tool use 
because mm-hmm. they are they are capable of constructing those abstract ideas mm-hmm. because we have systems of language, systems mm-hmm. of information sorting and gathering. I think the same systems that allow us to be tool users allow us to be capable, like, you know, deliverers of violence. Of mo- the the of, thing is, though, you have to ask, I guess, in, I think, like, in addition and also a as a counterpoint to what you're saying is mm-hmm, mm-hmm. do we develop those mechanisms uh, as competition against other like a competition against other primates is oh, that yeah. why it would um, start or does yeah, yeah, it start yeah. I actually, due to I actually like an have... outside the family influence does that make sense so like... so um link i think uh i don't know exactly what field he's in but pinkerton i think he is a he's a, mm-hmm. a linguist he's a, a maybe some kind of anthropologist Pinkerton describes the development of language in humans and how it fits into our understanding of evolution. Our our development of language was to fulfill something we he coined, I think, the cognitive niche. Mm-hmm. All I think, like when we look at creatures and how we evolve, we are all looking for a niche to succeed in, to thrive in. We're just trying to specialize in order to most like effectively further our own species. Pinkerton's theory was that, or is, I don't think he's dead. Um, Pinkerton's (laughs) theory is um, that the development of language was to fulfill a cognitive niche because we recognized or, Mm -hmm. or because humans needed to close the gap between Mm -hmm. the animal kingdom, between nature, which was, I don't actually, I don't want to say nature because um, we are part of nature, right? And this is important that we recognize that humans are a part of nature right now. Like humans needed to compete effectively. So we developed language. We developed a cognitive ability that would outstrip our opponents, basically, in the wild. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, no, that's well, actually... Because like, we also, yeah. at the same time, we also know like the first, the oldest tools we can find of, of us are generally like hammer, like mm-hmm. a multi-use tool, but mainly to bash someone's head in. Um, like we, we immediately say, developed, um, we immediately developed things that were weapons. I wouldn't the, even be so uh, cynical in that because I think I think like what a lot of cr- like animals can do that we can't is like take a hard piece of food and crack between their teeth to get the good shit inside. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We need a tool to break it open. But yeah, I think I think the da- I think there's a little bit of a danger there when we say the hammer is like a violent tool fundamentally. You know, I think we are okay. I think we are prescribing its usage and its 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 necessity to our survival. You know? Um, I would I would argue that though like we're so fundamentally violent that if it's and not to bias myself into this. I'm not saying I did. I'm doing this yeah, uh-huh. to make the point. But if it's my first thought, as like this is a multi-use tool, who's mm-hmm. to say that it's not also the first thought of of an early human? That Maybe. oh, I can use it to smash open a shell, and also a rival's, like a rival's head. Like yeah, I mean, I, is, I yeah. don't doubt that they got there eventually, Austin. I guess something that is different is. This is the most basic form of tool that is found, like, basically displayed being used in other primate species, too. Like, Mm -hmm. for example, uh, I believe in uh, October, or it might have been November's 
publication of the primatology journal, American Journal of Primatology. Um, there was a study that says uh, the first report of tool use in captive crested capuchin monkeys has been uh, discovered, and it was a capuchin named Mateo cracking open some nuts with a rock. You just like so, me. Yeah. I think it is interesting that we haven't really seen any other primates take the logical step of if I can break open nuts and you know coconuts with this shit, I can break open someone's head. But chimps will use sticks to hit each other, right? Well, yeah, that is... Chimps will improvise a weapon. They will, yeah, they absolutely will do that. And they will use it uh, pre-planned as well to... They'll use spears, makeshift spears, to uh, poke... um, They do stab monkeys to death, I think. They do stab? Uh, I'm not sure if it's... Yeah, basically, they just like... They jam it into the little red monkeys until they die, basically. That's horrifying, but yeah, makes sense. Uh-huh. So uh, evolutionarily... Okay. Oh, hold on. Okay, Chandra, you go first. I have an evolution question yeah. for Austin. Um, I, I was just saying, I think... I think hammer... I think gravity. <laughs> mm-hmm. Force. Inertia mm-hmm. is... It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's such a fundamental part of physics, right? Even today. Inertia force these things i i i can't i can't uh blame or want to like uh uh ascribe like or like i said before ascribe violence to a, a primitive species figuring out how to use force first that being their first ability to utilize the tool you know fair enough fair yeah enough. so i think that ties into what i want to ask is mm-hmm. so uh, homo sapiens were what like Officially, Homo sapiens are like about a million years old, as our current definition of what a Homo sapien is. Um, I'd, I'd, uh, I'd rather I'd rather get the exact. Uh, let me get an exact figure. Yeah, give, give me an exact because I have a, I, I think, have I have a good question. I think I think a million might be a little too too, too old. old. I believe I don't think we're much. Yeah, it's three hundred thousand years. So what was right before that? Um, there was a lot of like. They, we had a lot of human ancestors. Like, there were a fucked... Like, there wasn't one well, What's the path. most recent one to Homo sapien? Do we know? Is that, like, a question we can answer? It, like, because um, is Cro-Magnon man... Is Cro-Magnon man a separate species of person? They say it would be Neanderthals, but it was sort They're of... They're not like a, linear. But, like, they also... Yeah, it's not linear. I don't know if any of this is linear. I think... I believe Homo heidelbergensis... Mm-hmm. is our current best guess but okay. it also says people basically we don't know it was a lot of convergent divergent evolution yeah. it could have came and, from any of the fucking species basically and, yeah. and heidelbergensis was around for a while from what i understand like they were around for longer than we've been around currently right um yeah 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 and I so, so like, at least i know that we've done a lot more extensive mapping of what a person is compared to like what a chimp is right <laughs> Current uh, yeah, chimp. of course. Current chimp. What's its most recent ancestor? Because they just haven't been chimps for five million years. They clearly have been moving towards current chimp. What is pre-chimp? Do we have like a chimp ancestor that on that would equate to like? Well, I mean, I, w- I would I would be super confident that chimps have like because humans well, I, have yeah. been very rapidly evolved. I think we've had kind of what I think a lot of people call a chaotic evolution. Um, Our shit has been...
we've had some really major drastic changes to what we are very rapidly and they have been very rapid which is a little bit outside the norm for evolution but what i what i think i'm getting at is okay so we know that so we know that some smaller monkeys and smaller like smaller primates and smaller apes they know to use a tool look we've seen it in most of them they will take something and smash something open Mm -hmm. or use a rock to do whatever we know that they're doing that a good amount of apes and primates have shown this chimps as far as i know are the only ones that we've ever witnessed utilizing a tool that is purpose-built to be a weapon right just yeah yeah it of course depends on your definition of tool because like but weapons specifically i think chimps are the only one so what I want to what I what I guess like my question is is I mean it's obviously you can't be compared to to the homo line because they're what pan yeah pan something yeah uh, chimps are pan troglodytes okay yeah so yeah. at what point do we have an idea of for us as humans at what point the tool use spiraled out of control to be quite honest because it clearly spiraled out of control at some point so like. Do we have a theory on, oh, there might be a tipping point for something like a chimp where the tool use will spiral out of control and then the evolution has to catch up? I I, I don't want to say this with confidence. I feel like agriculture is kind of a really big thing we point at. Mm, But we were hunter-gatherers where we were very... Hunter-gathering is not agriculture. Yes, but we were very, already very societally complex. So that's like, that's like, so what is the thing where the tool use kind of spirals out of control to the point where like you can go from what a chimp is to a hunter gatherer to a farmer. Like, and I, I yeah. guess like what's the tipping point? Oh, you want okay, in the middle of? there. Yeah, yeah. Like, so what do we, do we have an idea of if there is a tipping point for like, Oh, okay. So once the chimp figures out that not only can I use a stick to poke things, but if I sharpen the stick, I can keep mm. reusing the stick. Like I, those, I guess, connections. It's that... it's hard to say because Homo habilis was the first human ancestor we think to start using stone tools, mm-hmm. and there's been a couple of species since then. And I guess the thing with chimps is we just haven't really seen new species evolve from chimps. Yeah. Like they've sort of they got into a niche and they've sort of stuck to it. And I could be wrong about this, but to my knowledge, I think, like, the only thing we know for sure is that, like, there's chimps, and then before that, there was a common ancestor, oh my god, uh, there was a common ancestor between humans and chimps, which we know nothing about. Mm-hmm. So I think chimps have been around for, like, a while, and they haven't changed, and so yeah. there's no real, like, So there I hasn't been a lot of species inclination, in yeah. yeah. And I th- there's I think- no inclination that they're going to, like, suddenly enter yeah. the fucking stone age. I think I mean? the really oh, frustrating yeah. answer is that the 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 evolution has to come first. The mutation has to come first and then the tool use and then the advancements will come. I wonder what it, effects it, we've hard, had. It's hard to like pinpoint like what That's exactly changed that made Homo habilis suddenly be able to like was it born like obviously born from a need but, you know, what changed in them physiologically that just made them, you know, air towards that more often? Because so, we've seen with chimps that there's social learning of tools where chimps that don't know how to use tools, you put them in a jungle with no tool or sorry, with, you know, a big pile of tools and like 
say just like stone tools and a bunch of nuts that need to be cracked um give him like 20 years probably won't figure it out but tribes of chimps i guess if, that's not really the right word troops? troops of chimp troops of chimps that already have had the knowledge of tool use like sort of passed around socially for who knows how long mm. can figure that out because they've been passing that information back and forth to each other so it's a matter of was our influ sorry was our evolution influenced by social evolution or was it the other way around does that make sense like genetic yeah, yeah like was it us. was it genetic that pushed us to learn how to use these things so what's the what was, was sapiens main competitor because we um, didn't originate in the same area that chimps do we originated further north right like it would have been baboons like would have been the main like primate competition main, well i think our main i guess if we're talking before outside of predation like when humans evolved, period, like, obviously, the out-of-Africa theory is not so much a theory, but a fact. Like, we know where, generally, where-ish we came from. What is the main primate that lives there that's not us? Baboons? I think it's less of an, a question of pinpointing exactly what other primate was there, so much as what, um, what environmental circumstances pushed uh this niche to need to be upon us yeah like, well that's why that's why i would ask because like if it's a baboon yeah the great apes were already filling a niche but yeah we are you gotta think great apes are competing with ourselves more or less um yeah and like we existed within that ecosystem for a very long time like for the majority of our history we interacted primarily our main like, honestly, our main food-gathering niche would have been what the other great apes were also going after as their food source. So, like, what a baboon would be eating, what a baboon does eat uh, in the highlands of Ethiopia would have still been, would have been the same general food sources that an, a proto-human would also have been trying to obtain. Fucking grubs, berries, like, shit that grows or lives on the ground, and you don't need a stick to kill. Right? So is the tool use more of a reaction to the fact that actually we're dog shit at that and we need to now outcompete something that's good at that niche, like a baboon, where now we have to, okay, we need to develop tool use because baboon's not going to go try and kill an elephant, but we can try. Is it, is it more of that? Hmm. I, th I, think it, I think it's a huge complex of factors. That yeah, all like, stem from the environment, and I think, I think, the it's impossible to focus on a single competitor. Yeah, because fair, a single fair. competitor is, simply doesn't yeah. have the the weight of influence upon our lives upon uh to drive something as drastic as evolution. I also think it's more of just if you. There is like a constant drive to fill a niche that doesn't, you know, necessarily exist yet. And, you know, you're not, you don't necessarily have to be competing with someone to, you know, try to fill that niche, which is more fulfilling. Like, I guess it's the process of evolution is not obviously not designed. It's essentially if there's a bunch of things competing for the same resources, 
only the ones who find new and unique ways of branching out and getting those resources in different and, you know, monopolizable ways, if that makes sense, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. will start to emerge as dominant over time. And that's in a a very basic sense. But I guess the problem here is we don't know what the common ancestor of humans and, um, like a chimp is. You know, other great apes were. So we can't study them. We don't know their yeah. diet, their habits. It's very... So like I would argue It's that... all speculation beyond, like, human ancestors, basically. Yeah, because, like, I would yeah. argue that, like, all of the great apes, are, our niche is, is intelligence, period. Like, the great apes are smarter than the other ones. So, like, I, like, I would argue, we obviously, we did it best. But, yeah. like, it is also their niche, is to be cognitive, is to think. They don't there have is. to think as hard or given like, and this is all very hypothetical, so I'm not going to do this for very long, but like the hypothetical argument there would be, okay, well, if humans aren't successful, what is to say that the chimp lineage doesn't make this leap too? Because I think now we're at a point in time where they are probably stunted and without being kind of pushed really to make these, make to have to make decisions like that they'll never advance to a level of of cognizance that we have. Also, like a little, the the answer is here a little bit, the chimp lineage did make that leap and that's us, right? Because we're from Fair. a shared lineage. It's just, we, we are, we are yeah, the, the answer. Yeah, we are, we are, the, we are the smartest one, yeah. 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 The theory here is that, you know, I talked a couple episodes back about, you know, the linear scaled primate primate brain theory. Um, you know, it's uh it was by Susanna Herculano Hosel, I think that's how you say it. Basically, mm-hmm. um you know, the theory that uh our brains are like linearly scaled up from, you know, the standard primate like macaque or other medium-sized primate brain where we preserved the brain function um but not like the body muscle mass function so much as where the other great apes decided to fill the niche of you know big body but less fully developed brain because you know their their neurons are less dense than ours generally speaking um there are also like other like much smaller animals, much less complex animals who have more dense neurons than us, but their body sizes are much less. It's a very complicated thing, but basically you evolution, you have to balance like the metabolic demands of having a big, strong, dense brain and having a big body that can physically obtain the things that it needs to fuel the brain and where humans split off to prioritize the brain essentially and become a brain case other great apes focused on you know using their body as a tool to you know survive and i think where we don't really give them enough credit they have inhabited that niche for the entirety of history extremely well longer Mm -hmm. than us and they're very successful only recently because of our meddling in their natural habitat are they beginning to fail and I guess that is, you could abstract that as a sort of evolutionary process where because we are now out competing them by taking their resources from them, you know, then maybe they're failed, basically. But 
it's also a matter of our is what we're doing natural which you know again ties into yeah let's tie back this into is, morality yeah, here yeah yeah and this yeah. is this is the argument this is what the cognitive niche is humans developed a this ability to use tools and to be cognitive agents in order to outpace evolution itself mm-hmm. yeah whether whether on purpose or not like the the human invention of tools probably followed up by linguistics it does exist as a as a feature of cheating death uh, of cheating that certain extinction because a human without tool use and a human without language gets out competed by a chimp or a gorilla every time we lack the physical strength the physical stamina to really live that life stamina um one of the things that Really, stamina has actually helped humans a lot. Stamina is the able to ever get into the where we are. Right, we just have to like put our heads down and keep moving forward, at like literally just like out surviving other species just by sheer force of like stamina and will, which got us to a space yeah. where which, which, we used to outstrip and also species. in a more literal sense where we used to literally run other animals to death which is we insane. Did, yep. yeah <laughs> yeah do um last thing before we just go back to morality because now i'm interested Austin, yeah. in the last like 70 years since uh humans have really started knocking down the congo um have we noticed a change in behavior in great apes like gorillas or uh, chimps like to try and adjust to try and like evolve, I guess. Cause I guess like our evolution is wildly faster than most other things have ever been. Yep. So like with our outside push, essentially, have we noticed a change in behavior of other great apes that are affected directly by it? Do we notice them acting differently, either doing more tool use, less tool use, trying to like, so, are they being more complex or less complex or are they just dying out? It's a, it's a matter of what you consider to be more complex or, you know, if this is just basic survival instinct, but all primates have adapted to human, like, there's basically an idea that there is no natural world anymore and we can't, like, interfere with them because they're a part of our world now whether they like it or not. And basically, primates have to adapt to fragmented habitats, they have to, you know, learn to steal from the trash of other humans they have to learn yeah importantly they have to learn to fear us because especially if we're carrying guns they have to learn that we are a predator we are you know dangerous Mm -hmm. um but they also learn that you know we are a resource in many cases for example the temple monkeys of india and also most of the world to be honest wherever there's temples they know that the temples are where they can go to get food and, you know, free food. And they can use that to sort of circumnavigate the tribulations of finding food in their natural environment, which is now massively depleted. Yeah. So. And the use of the word adapt is important here because Mm -hmm. it's not evolution. Yeah. It's not evolution. It's not long enough scale. At what point is it? Until the timeline is long enough for it. We won't... Until, humans won't until, live long enough to see that become evolution, in my opinion. Yeah. yeah, that is... It is time and mutation. And there's no mutation. It's not a long enough time. It is simply instincts being adaptable. Right? The yeah. same way a gazelle recognizes 
a big cat as a predator, it recognizes a human as a predator. Mm-hmm. You know, even though humans have changed our appearance as predators, you know, we go out in camo with guns. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just it's it's, it's an ad- the adaptation from instincts that they have already evolved. I would argue genetically, the changes would already exist though, because you can see like, and I know like humans maybe are maybe we are a bad case. Maybe we do like fundamentally evolve quicker. Maybe that is the thing. Maybe it's not the tool use or language. It's some sort of mutation we have that allows us to genetically change ourselves quicker I don't because know like you can see like so well you in in a good example is, is trauma in a person that will change not only your dna but your offsprings going forward like you can, that is why intergenerational trauma exists it is it is a genetic change yeah you, there is like a noted the... genetic change like so do we and it's not a question you probably answer because we don't have the damn a sheet in front of us, but is that like that's a change that is probably noted in other animals? So, like, does that count as evolution? So, what you're getting change. into is called epigenetics, and it's the idea that most of our DNA is just sitting there, inactivated, useless, just spaghetti, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, but certain physical changes in the environment, in the brain, in anything around us that we perceive can turn on these genes and either turn them on permanently or, you know, just temporarily. But, you know, if they're turned on permanently, they get passed on. And, you know, there's the idea that epigenetics can probably speed up evolution. Mm-hmm. Um, but... Like, so are we a case of epigenetics gone wild? Humans. There is... I, we definitely have a lot of epigenetic shit going on. I haven't spent enough time on this in my undergrad to be honest to speak authoritatively on it but i do know that this is something seen in pretty much every animal i think but with humans you know it it definitely could have played a factor in in our evolution so um it's it's very hard to say but it is it's called epigenetics it's a whole field of study um it's very fascinating to look into I mean, you know what? Talk a lot if you're listening, this yeah, might if be you're listening worth at home, in motherfuckers, if you're at home right now and you're listening and you don't know what the fuck we're talking about, because this has been 45 minutes of us actually thinking, Google <laughs> epigenetics. Google it. Um, yeah, look into so to it. tie Talks it, means, you know. Kinda, <laughs> um, yeah, let's go back to morality. So kind of to tie this back into morality. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> do I? I mean, so I guess from here, this next thing I want to talk about. I'm going to just operate. Me personally, you guys don't have to. I'm going to operate on, let's say great apes have like a basic sense of some sort of morality. Otherwise, uh-huh. the next thing I want to talk about is it's going to be a lot more confusing to try and explain. So take everything I'm saying from here on out under the premise that I am assuming that a chimp or a gorilla may indeed have a basic sense of morality. Do we think they're capable of a spirituality? Do we think that a like a human why do we have an innate sense of spirituality I, part of it is because of our intelligence we are trying to find a place for ourselves in the world in a world where we are the only thing that we can communicate with yeah. um, we are the only thing we can talk to and so we have to ask ourselves and we've been asking ourselves this question for 200 or 300,000 years now is where do we fit what is the I... reason that we exist 
what is the reason we fit here and why am I so smart? I think that's a real question that all of us ask ourselves. Just we put a lot of layers of shit on it now. Yeah. Why um, am I so smart if there is no reason to be? No obvious one. So I want to, I think, well, we talked about this just a moment ago mm-hmm. about uh, morality being defined by being watched or like morality mm-hmm. being brought on by being watched. Mm-hmm. I think, and I think it was very interesting that chimps are non-moral agents, whatever that means, you know, they're are non-moral yeah. Ag- yeah, they're amoral whenever they aren't being observed by their community. And I wonder if I, I had this thought because I knew we were going to get to spirituality uh, towards it in this episode mm-hmm. is does religion do do these spiritual um, systems function as a way to permanently keep the sense of community watching you um, ever present and to guide mm. you as a moral actor? And when Austin mentioned yeah. that chimps will uh, will exhibit you know moral agency with um with knowledge of being understood uh, being observed by the community i think that was great but yeah <laughs> uh uh you mentioned, you mentioned the chimp one specifically you mentioned that chimps um specifically do not engage with yeah, they don't the, show with the, yeah they don't yeah that was a part bit. of Greg's that was my whole yeah. that was my whole bit. yeah i'm so proud of greg actually I think so much for this. I also have a point to make about linguistics and religion and yeah, um, morality. But yeah, I, I think I think I think that's a really cool theory, though, Chandran. Yeah, yeah. I think religion. I think spirituality serves. Um, and I, helps I feel like fill that it, helps fill the niche. Helps helps fill the niche, right? I guess helps keep keep us grounded. I guess my only retort to that. My yeah. only retort to that. Mm-hmm. specifically would be a you have to explain atheism not in like the what's his name way mm-hmm. not in like the yeah, douchebag yeah. way but yeah. also the fact that there are there are still societies that have nothing there is no sense no. of that no sense of spirituality there's a couple a couple mm-hmm. and there's one i read about it was so fucking when I was reading about linguistics, I learned a lot about these people. They live in the Amazon. There's only like four or 500 <laughs> members of this community left. Um, they speak a language that is non, non-recursive. So it's like the most basic form of language. It is literally a language of like grug, use rock. Like it is that basic. There are yeah. like There are like two action words in the entire language. And they don't have any spiritual systems. There is no concept of spirits, of God, gods, a pantheon, even even believing in like a spirits of the nature around them. They don't have that. And they do still function under this same kind of morality system. And the understanding is, I think, historically I have, I have a important question here. Go ahead. And I think this is I think this is gonna get maybe to my point here. Go ahead. Does the society have complicated tool use to the level that we do as Absolutely. Americans? Yes. They do. Yes, they have yeah, the same. All, they have the all same level of societies have okay. the same capacity for intelligence. Well, yeah, so that's the thing. Well, so they do have, as my, have complicated my... tool use and architecture. Like they were okay, living. Like, okay. You can think of them as living as like an uncontacted tribe in the Amazon. It's like a hut, but but they have oh, okay, okay. they have bows and arrows. They had they had all the same tools like a, your average indigenous South American Amazonian tribe would have. They simply have 
almost no culture. They have like almost no culture to speak of, period. They don't do ceremonies. They don't have a religion, any to speak of. They only had words for two colors when they were first contacted. They literally could only do green and blue. They did not, when they were presented, they had the other colors in the natural world. They just didn't have a word for them. So they yeah. would always be described as like blue light. Like it would be like, and they'd have combinations of words, but they never thought to invent more. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So I mean, we, they didn't we, need to. We can look at English, like old English literature and recognize mm-hmm. like the colors we're using here are off. Why do we, yeah, why are wrong. we calling this thing purple? But it's because they didn't have like um, have word. The, the, the the proper word for the color that we have now. Yeah. Um. And so I think my my idea, which I don't know, I don't know. We can we can discuss if this is maybe a valid idea or not. Is religion itself a tool? Is it? Can we think of religion? Can we think of spirituality as a tool? And that these uncontacted, like some of these uncontacted tribes or these tribes who have like a different, like whose language do not, have not like permitted them to reach where we are. Because I think we're going to differ philosophically here. We might. I, I might. That's because I, I, I think my personal relationship with it. Mm-hmm. Oh, I mean, yeah, of, to be yeah, clear, yeah. to be yeah. clear, like, I don't even want to say like, these aren't even really my beliefs. I'm a very spiritual yeah. person. I believe yeah. there is that thing that exists that unknowable unmaterial thing but however when we're thinking about it in this perspective right now yeah so i think like it's good that you're using that because i'm not gonna at all i'm gonna (laughs) so like (laughs) i I am like very much a person who thinks that like god i don't want to be like i believe in god no i do i do it but more it's more of like from an an agnostic perspective that leans towards there is more than just what we can see. Okay. Um, wow. That there is more to it. Um, that there is more oh. to existence, period. Right. Whether that means we are part of a living machine that is the universe. Whether mm-hmm. that means we are, there is something. Like you, like your consciousness can move. And I did a lot yeah. of research on that too while I was doing this. Um, was looking the into TikTok like... shifters. Was looking yeah. into, no. Was looking into <laughs> experiences. I read probably 40 different fucking articles about near-death experiences. Good God. And one thing that is interesting is that cross-culturally and throughout recorded history where these are recorded, um, they are always the same, irregardless of the faith. The only things that seem to change when it comes to the faith is the names that the people will give for things. Yeah. Or the faces that they're putting to things. Or maybe like a a physical description of what happens at the very end of their NDE. So the near-death experience is generally always described as a bright light and moving forward. That is a that is a cross-cultural constant, is a bright light and moving feeling the feeling of physically being pulled forward. Usually there are loved ones, relatives, some of which one interesting thing that I came across in a bunch was they would be speaking with relatives or friends who had died that the person in having that experience did not know they were dead. Oh. So that is a, that's a common thing. Um, others is like relatives, close people, and sometimes people that they don't know at all, but that they feel some sort of connection to. Uh-huh. Not necessarily like, oh, I'm seeing a dead, you know, Robert Redford's ghost. 
more like a, they feel like this is a person who I'm related to. I just don't know who they are. Yeah. It, it like, and generally that's, that's cross-cultural. Um, you see it in Hindu people who have this experience, Muslims, Jews, Catholics, even, and it's harder to get these experiences from places where this isn't studied. Um, yeah. so you don't have, you have a lot, like you get a lot more from India which is kind of the only like South Asian place you're going to get these, this catalog. Um, we know what's happened in very sparse cases from what's been written down in other places like Indonesia and Vietnam. These have been written down. Um, Native American cultures have this too. Um, we've seen it. Um, we've had it recorded and they have, obviously it's their own cultural hallmarks plastered mm-hmm. on top. So I guess that's, I don't know what the fuck the original point I was making was. <laughs> well, no, it's it's interesting. I oh, think we, we were, yeah. Uh-huh. Let's uh, let's bring this back to primates. Let's think. Let's deconstruct what Coco the gorilla said when asked about what she thinks is going to happen after she dies. Now, assuming that this wasn't like a coached answer, or that she wasn't mm-hmm. like you know basically trained to think a certain way beforehand, which basically she was. But let's let's think about this for a second. Um, Coco the gorilla's response to where she's going to go after she dies was comfortable, whole, by. There's the idea of comfort and whole, which I, th- I think the whole is alluding to burial, which yeah. I think is pretty obviously something that was coached by humans, but comfortable, I don't know if that's something that can even be like... Uh, it's a complex thought. Yeah, it's. I don't know how that could be coached necessarily. So I don't know, like, is there something there or is that just completely, you know, confirmation bias, training, so on and so forth? I think it's confirmation bias. I I mean, I think maybe, I think, I think it's incredibly hard to ask that question. Um, Not even on a linguistic level, like that is obviously already incredibly difficult or uh, maybe a moral level that's also incredibly difficult. I think on an emotional level, for an animal that is as complex, let's say, as Coco, as a, as a gorilla, bonobo, chimp, that is as complex enough to understand these things, but not put the... They lack the words. They, they literally lack the, the way to get it out, to explain. Because they do show the ability, obviously, to grieve. Like, the, we know that they grieve. We know they feel bad, but they're not the only animals that do. There are much less complex animals that seem to show this capacity, which to me proves a whole different point. But specifically, like, it's, I don't know. If you could give, if, like, we could bring Coco back from the dead and give her the chip that lets her speak English, like, what is she actually trying to say? Yeah. Like, what is, like, what is actually attempting to be communicated? Because even for... A gorilla, they asked the damn gorilla this, like, not too soon before she died. Like, mm-hmm. you also can't really know. We don't even know if, but we don't we don't know if she was experiencing any sort of internal turmoil, knowing that she was getting sicker. Or like, you know, like, yeah, even a person knows when it's, they're getting close. Yeah. So we don't know if there was a, we don't know if they're capable, A, of that emotional turmoil that obviously comes with aging and passing away. But we also don't know if there's, like, what is, like, a comfortable hole goodbye? 
that's that's a physical description. It's not necessarily like an answer we want. So yeah, yeah, it's a physical description of what's going to happen, which is interesting that she even considered you get buried. Because mm-hmm. gorillas don't do that in the wild, right? What, yeah. Where are the where are the dead gorillas? How come you never see any of those? Well, because <laughs> well, I mean, we I don't really hang out where where, where the gorillas are. <laughs> yeah, but they just die and they lay, lay in there. Like, why don't we go? For- do they? Well, yeah, well, that was thing. my I question mean, for Austin. What do they do with their dead? Yeah. yeah. So there's a couple of things to cover here. Um, basically, I think <clears throat> it's very similar to what humans used to do before the advent of, I guess, to call it crudely, the death industry. Where basically humans used to take care of the dead. They used to wash them. They used to, you know, take care of the bodies, clean them of bugs and stink. And so do other primates. They take care of the bodies. They have an ownership, a community ownership of the body, where if human caretakers try to come in and take a dead chimpanzee, they get like outraged. It's like, what are you doing? We're taking care of him. He's dead now. Um,. They don't really understand what we're going to do with it, and what we're doing has no meaning to them, obviously, like burying the chimp. But um, basically, usually what happens, especially in the case of mothers and dead infants, is uh, carrying around and taking care of the body for as long as possible until it either... It's hard to say what the breaking point is for them, where it's either not recognizable or not salvageable anymore, basically. And at that Mm -hmm. point, they move on. And it's a matter of, you know, is something forcing them to move on or have they moved on mentally, like from the grief? Are they ready to move on? So Do we know, see it's, it's a variable time length between like mothers? It's definitely it's definitely variable. Like there's then some who will carry around a dead monkey until it's completely unrecognizable, basically. Um But yeah, there's uh there's a lot of interesting things, like this also comes down to a debate between Japanese primatology and Western primatology, as it's called, where mm-hmm. Japanese primatology is based on the idea that you have to sympathize with these animals because this can't be a purely empirical science. You have to try to sort of use some subjectivity to the description of the behaviors you see, whereas Western science tries to be completely objective. To completely uh, divorce itself from anthropomorphizing primates and just sort of do stick to purely uh, recordable data, pretty much. Uh, for example, I guess to go back to what you were saying about near-death experiences, you know, there's explanations where, you know, the brain is trying to prevent panic in its final mm-hmm. moments by flooding the nervous system with all sorts of chemicals, so on and so forth. It's reliving memories to try to, you know, figure out a solution, a last minute solution. Um, and there's also, you know, with primates, we don't know how they feel. We can't know how they feel for sure. But, you know, one thing people do in captivity is uh, try to measure the amount of cortisol. I think, uh, yeah, it might be cort- cortisol. Something. It's stress yeah, it is stress, cortisol, yeah. but yeah, I think it's something more specific they look for. But anyways, the stress hormones, they try to measure the amount in, you know, hair samples and feces samples and urine samples, blood even. Um, and they use that as a sort of indicator of well-being. But it's still hard to tell because 
you know, there's even a big debate on is pacing back and forth a symbol of, you know, bad welfare because they will see this behavior in macaques, for example, captive macaques in research, where they're just pacing back and forth and they're like, well, something's clearly wrong, but they'll take a, you know, cortisol uh, test basically and they won't find anything wrong. They're like, well, he's not stressed. There's nothing like physically wrong with him. He's just doing that, but he Mm -hmm. looks stressed, right? So there's a big disconnect in what you can quantify and what you can qualify. I guess like my point with that, because I didn't actually know that they did that, that they would A, carry them around and B, like take care of the body. I think like to me, like, that shows a very primitive sense of some sort of spirituality, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. That that shows some sort of sense of spirituality. Now, I think in my in my perspective, I think this is almost like proof positive that great apes are stuck with a material understanding of these things. They don't have our our abstract our immaterial sense. Really? Of death, I think so. I because what we do with bodies now, now because uh, Austin, you said early humans would do the same thing, right? We take care of them. Yeah, I mean, just, like, I mean, even until... like up until recently in our culture, like before yeah. it became like a whole industry to sell caskets and you know, uh, yeah, uh-huh. what's the chemical they put in people to preserve them? That thing, uh, formaldehyde. formaldehyde. Yeah, yeah. Basically, even before mm-hmm. that, it was sort of standard procedure. Like before any of the rituals of your. Uh, perspective religion to take care of the body and get your final goodbyes in but like to continue caring for them but it's not hard to imagine that's what the entirety of early human post-death care looked like um but you know we do have obviously proof of burials and stuff like that so Mm -hmm. we've burials and grave goods and i think grave goods are the are are very important to this conversation specifically so we also do we found, see? Um, we found uh, early human ancestors that would actually take the way we found some certain human ancestors was because they were preserved very well in cave systems. And what that showed us was that early human ancestors used to take the dead bodies of, you know, family members or community members and hide them somewhere and you know, put them where they weren't obtainable, which there's a theory of, is that the beginnings of ritual or is that just hiding the bodies from predators to prevent Mm -hmm. them from like locating the Mm -hmm. other members of the species? So there's a debate there. Do, that is interesting. But to to go back to grave goods real quick. Yeah, 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 sorry. Do we know, like, because I know it's like very, very rare. It's very rare for in the wild for a researcher to stumble across a dead chimp or a dead gorilla because they generally are kind of, they're out there, but they're hidden away. So of the ones that we have, <coughs> that we have found, I don't even know if we have found any, do the other animals leave things there? Even if that's just a stick or a rock, like do we, or just like some berries? Yeah. Have we noticed that? Because we have noticed that, in other entirely different species, whereas like a like like elephants will do that, they will leave the grave. They will leave, and they've been known to even kind of bury their dead, 
we've known that they will leave and come back for years later to be there, to be at that specific spot mm-hmm. where they put their dead family member, they put their dead community member, and leave them, they'll leave things there over and over and over again for years, knowing that it is, obviously they have a very intense caloric intake they need to meet every day. They're taking time out of that to do something that is strictly emotional. So have we noticed that kind of behavior in apes? Outside of ourselves. Um, unfortunately, the closest thing we have witnessed. Now, this was witnessed relatively recently in 2017. So who's to say that there's not more that we're missing in certain chimp groups? But, um, for example, uh, basically, the prime example of funerary rites is that chimps will clean the corpses of dead chimps. But that's where it stops, to our knowledge. But it's possible there's more, but we not that we've seen. But yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm wondering now if our conversation on spirituality is kind of paralleling our conversation on morality. Where yeah. we are, once again, having to consider, did these instincts and rituals come first and then grow into spirituality or has the rapid mutation of humans turned this turned these instincts into spiritual systems alongside our you know linguistic and moral systems um i don't know, I don't know. I, yeah question. it's hard to yeah it's hard to ask because our our evolution is so jumbled like does it yeah do we do these things first and then they become ingrained in our in like in our evolution? Mm-hmm. Do we do these things truly at the beginning? Yeah. Do we do and them first purely out of an emotional sense and then it becomes part of us through repetition? Mm-hmm. Or do and we I think... Go ahead. You're good. I, I mean I think I I feel like the linguistic community has pretty solidly settled that these are not like our 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 late language did not evolve from slow usage over time developing into language i it has been almost i don't want to say like 100% like i want to say yeah you're right the locked. growing the, the dominant theory is they just like it, it's a, it's a it's, switch it is rapid mutation it is a switch this is for like this is basically what is accepted by linguists I think if we are tie, I think we, I think we are very. I think this is a, a clever thing we are doing, that we are we are connecting these three things together. I think, I think morality and spirituality. If if at all, well, that's also the thing, right? I I am like I I like genuinely very spiritual, and like a way that even like further than you, Greg. Like I have. Sam, you're trying to like spirit dog. Yeah, like, fuck you, Greg. But, like, I'm one up on your ass. But like, I, I, I genuinely, I gen, like, not genuinely, generally have like codified stories and beliefs and things that I believe in. Right? Oh, I have those too. I was toning it down for this. Just, to, oh, okay. just stay okay, 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 this. okay. I see. I see. We're gonna have a, uh, gonna have a off. Yeah. I think, <laughs> so I mean, there is always the the answer that we can't really fall back on in this in this conversation is that mm-hmm. it does not matter physiologically because it doesn't exist materially. Yeah, exactly. None of this exists materially. We will never have an answer because 
Yeah, it it's is only, there's only one. You get one chance at answering it, and there's a fifty-fifty shot. Yep. Yep. Like you get one. This one answer. So. Uh huh. Yeah, so, I think that's interesting, and I wonder if maybe like, you know the answer for like half of a second, and then you're, you're done. It's all. Yeah. <laughs> I think okay, Richard Dawkins. Um, <laughs> okay. I think, uh, Sorry I think, to be the um, epic Reddit atheist. <laughs> you are, um, I think the real. I think like another good question is: Does do these systems, like obviously language is the most important factor? I think in communicating these and in expanding upon them more than just a base feeling. Is if we could give like a great ape language tomorrow, do they have these thoughts that they ha- they can't put to words? They can't put to a com like they're clearly capable yeah. of complex mm-hmm. thought. They're just not capable of projecting a complex thought out into the world around. Them. Yeah, I think so. Like that's I think is a really important piece of that. I think if I were I to answer it, this yeah. from from like a spiritual perspective, mm-hmm. I would say if if all of if all of God's creations could speak tomorrow. You know, they would they would sing they would sing his praises, right? <laughs> um, but from like a material perspective, I don't no, I don't think so. I don't think if you gave animals speech overnight that they would like, You would have to change something. Yeah. I would have to change something fundamental about the way the about, brain works. And yeah. then would they still even be that have animal? the same thing, yeah. I guess, yeah. like my, I guess my idea would be just like, just from like I'm taking it from a different angle than I think you are, Austin. Like w- observing them do certain things with their dead. Like I think my argument would be if they could talk tomorrow, I think they would have a deeper concept of it than I think we give credit for. Yeah, I I, I really do, and I don't know yeah. if that concept is so much, um, like. Whether it would be epic Reddit atheism, or it would be, like, chimp not here anymore, chimp gone, chimp somewhere else. I, like, if that would be the concept, is is yeah. their conceptualization of it, if they could put the words to it, that that animal is now somewhere else, or that mm-hmm. they are gone? I think that's really the only yeah. question to ask, is, do you think that they're gone, or do you think that they are somewhere? Yeah, and I think we are closing in on time here so i guess yeah the answer here is there will literally never be almost definitely never be an answer to this just because from what the tools available to us right now we know that they don't have the capacity to communicate these things and they would have to change fundamentally in order for that to happen Mm -hmm. so we can't know we will never know and until you individually die you will not know that's really the yeah, only and that yeah, yeah, and that's true for and even as well. yeah, even taking like all like the the near death experience example, like I was more speaking choose... to the not knowing how the chimps are thinking. But no, yeah, no, no, yeah, but I think to speak to this is like to 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 put it very plainly, like you have two options, irregardless of there being hundreds of like the same experience, you still have two options. Your two options are, it's a massive flood of DMT, and some for some reason we all imagine it the same second answer is you kind of just take it and say okay that's maybe that's what's happening but there is no third like you kind of you pick and it's kind of the same with the chimps you kind of have to just go yeah they probably have a concept of something or they don't it's, a, it's that's what you would have to ask yeah 
That's what I finished that time last time. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, this has been a like very... Part two. <laughs> this is This has been a very long, very interesting for us. I don't know. Let us know if this is interesting for you guys. Yeah, let us know if this is interesting. Yeah. This is the first episode we've ever done where we didn't uh, Where we tried like jokes. a... We we made a little bit of joke. We but made jokes. This the is first just five a minutes. straight like stoner weed circle jerking off about philosophy classes. We haven't really taken that kind yeah. of shit. We love it. Uh-huh. We love to see it in podcasts. And Let us know if this Hegel. sucks ass or not. <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah, we're getting to the we're getting to the materialist shit, motherfucker. We're well, be able once to again, if this is now. good, keep subscribing. <clears throat> if this is bad, yeah. send a bomb to Greg's house or mine if you can find it. Um, not my no though. I'm not die for this anyway, shit. so while we wrap it up, <laughs> while we wrap it up, um, let's do some of our normal shtick. Um, I yeah. would like to um, thank some of our newest patrons. I'm going to read off a bunch. Absolutely, I read you last got a time. Lot Congratulations! Of I read you last. Love time. you all. Um, so um, again, I won't read last names. Um, if I read your name and you don't like that I did that, go ahead and fucking let me know somehow. Um, so yeah, new subscribers. Her. Duncan, Shout Ignis, out. Hell yeah. Skog's My Roar, Poltergeist, who we've been seeing you in the in Twitch, so shout out. And in the Discord, Discord now. And in the Discord, guys. yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm going to read your whole name. Um, Robin the Non-Binary Blunder. That's a great one. Okay. Um, <laughs> More non-binary then, fans. Love that. Yeah. Um, shout out Darby. Um, shout yeah, the fuck cool. out Darby. <laughs> yeah, we're just gonna, I'm just gonna scrolling around now. Um, shout out Sophie, Tasha, Madeline, and Katie. Thank you guys so much for being subscribers. Yeah. Um, if though. you if you're not a subscriber and you like content like this, go ahead and subscribe. You probably won't get anything like this again, but go ahead and subscribe. We got a lot of cool content. Might, you, know, you actually, you almost, you probably might though. We might. Maybe we'll expand we'll, we'll upon this crazy. with Patreon we'll only. We'll get silly with it. Mm-hmm. Maybe yeah. we'll do more of this, but it'll only be on Patreon. Because yeah. it is a very long and draggy thing. So Yeah, it's um, it's a, it's an acquired taste. If you hate it, you know. Meh. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> we'll get back also, to our normal monkey business. Yeah. Also, I just want to um, let everybody know. Go ahead. I'm not, I don't know the fucking link to it. We moved our merch store. We have more products. And we've got our new winter collection line out. Oh, hell um, yeah. Go ahead and go on any of our socials, click on our link tree, click on the merch store, all kinds of cool shit. We, we are running shit. a deal until the end of the month. Um, I don't remember what the fucking code is. It's 5% off. It's Travis. It's Travis. Oh, Travis. Oh, Travis. 5% off on any of your orders. Order order some shit. We got cool stuff. We've made our designs a lot better. And I made the Xanax stuff. chimp design. Yeah, we've yeah. got um, Travis the Zan chimp. Folks, you can go to any of our socials and find our link tree, like Greg just said. Yep. But I'm going to say it out loud so y'all didn't have it. Patreon.com slash Gorilla Radio Show. You can go subscribe to any of the tiers. Get our bonus content for merch. And I just want to, like, shout the fuck out Greg, who's in Thanks. here in the fucking trenches. making away. Slave <laughs> it away for y'all. To give y'all this shit, it is at Gorilla Radio Show. Fighting tooth and nail with customer service representatives. <laughs> it is at GorillaRadioShow.myshopify.com. Um, you know what? In the future, 
we're going to probably buy a domain just to put everything there. We're going to say, hey, go to this, go to this so URL nice. and you'll see everything. <laughs> Um, but that day is not today. So <laughs> one more time, patreon.com slash guerrilla radio show, guerrilla radio show.myshopify.com. Everybody, thank you for listening. Give me a fucking follow on my public Twitter account. Uh, give give the Greg, give the others Swamp some clout. Okay. You can follow Austin at, at @pissvortex. I'm sure you already do. Um, you can follow us, pod, our podcast on Twitter at guerrilla underscore underscore radio um, God, Chandra, i don't know your app What's we gotta your upgrade that uh, i'm on twitter at moon's gift give us a fucking follow shout us out don't worry soon guys the gorilla radio show twitter account will be verified for eight dollars a month <laughs> no hating yeah. elon, elon where i will be We're doing nothing where i'll be doing nothing but tweeting this information under the auspices of the nasa twitter account so um <laughs> good luck everyone shout out yeah, we killed those chimps. We fucking liked it. Exactly, exactly. We blew them up. Tell us to our first the, episode, Apes in Space. I'm Great episode. Tweeting as the ghost of Ham the Chimp. Uh, <laughs> but, um, no. Shout out. This has been great. This is a good episode. All right, yeah. We had fun, at least. That's all that matters. Exactly. That is all that matters. Free load. This is just a fucking vanity project, okay? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> okay, anyway, bye. We'll see you next bye. time later in the month. Bye. Build by the science guy.